Amen. Well, thank you, Taylor, for being here with us today. God bless you, man. Thanks for leading us and Addy and all our musicians. And uh, welcome to our uh, first uh, live stream service here at Faith Bible Church. If you're, you're visiting with us, maybe you logged in here this morning. We appreciate you doing that, and we pray that you'll be strengthened and edified by our time together today. And uh, we thank you for those of us who attend here regularly for understanding these kind of unique circumstances. Uh, there's just a few people here in the sanctuary this morning, just a few of our elders who are here. And let me assure you, it's not the same without you here. We miss you, and uh, we wish very much that you were here with us. You know, I guess every occupation probably has uh, uh, their nightmares, a thing that they think about at night. And, you know, a nightmare for preachers is that you show up for church some Sunday and nobody's there, you know, to preach to. Uh, well, that nightmare has been realized here this morning. But, of course, the, uh, the sanctuary is actually empty by choice here this morning. And we're glad you're at home, safe with your family, uh, watching our service. And I want to assure you that Cheryl and I love you all, and uh, we miss you this morning. And we're praying for you, and we're praying for our city and our state and our nation and, and for the world. And I pray that we can get back together very soon as a body uh, to worship the Lord together. Um, let me just uh, also mention it's great to be back here in Oklahoma. Uh, 53 of us have been on a trip uh, to Israel. We just got back on Friday. Uh, we had a great trip, and God was faithful to answer our prayers for uh, physical safety and good health and, and beautiful weather. And so we thank all of you uh, for your prayers for us uh, on that trip. It was a great time together. We had a wonderful trip. Now, I want all of you to know here this morning that, uh, that the elders and the pastors here at Faith Bible Church, we didn't make our decision not to meet this Sunday based on politics or based on panic, uh, but based on prudence. Uh, there's still a lot of uncertainty out there, and we're all hoping for the best, but we want to prepare for the worst. And ultimately, we decided there's no reason to risk the health of any of our church members or uh, those in our surrounding community. And so we really believe this is kind of a concrete way for us as a church uh, to love our neighbor and to care about um, our greater community. So we thank you for your prayers and for your understanding. Uh, I was doing some reading this week. I'm sure a lot of you have been online reading and listening to things about this current crisis in our country, but the Ohio Department of Health Director, Amy Acton, said this a few days ago. She said, we're waking up to our new reality. This will be the thing this generation remembers. It's kind of interesting. It's a sobering thought, but um, it's possibly true. In light of uh, this uh, pandemic, President Trump has declared a national emergency. And he also, as Jay mentioned earlier, has called uh, for this to be a national day of prayer. And I don't know about you, but I'm very grateful for uh, a president who recognizes the power of prayer. And so we want to join with believers all over this nation and kind of lock arms with them and lift our hearts in supplication uh, to our great God for his mercy. So join together with me wherever you are as we, we lock arms together, we lock our faith together, and we approach the throne of grace. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 91 uh, said this, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the trapper's snare and from the deadly pestilence. Father, we come and we confess today you're our only refuge, our fortress. You're our God in whom we trust. We pray for, for divine protection for America from this plague. We pray for, for Vice President uh, Pence's uh, efforts to contain the spread of this virus. Uh, give wisdom, we pray, to Vice President Pence and his team as they deal with this and help them to know what to do and when to do it and the steps to take the, the curve, the spread of this virus and to help those who are infected. Father, we pray for people, especially in Italy today and Spain and, and some of these countries that are very hard hit. 
for people in China and South Korea. Uh, Lord, we know that you're bigger than this virus, and we're praying that the numbers of those who are infected will begin to go down very soon. We're praying that those who contract it will, will be healed and recover fully. We pray for minimal loss of life. Father, help us in these times to replace fear with faith and to replace panic with prayer. Father, give us opportunities in this time to bear witness to you as people are uncertain and unsure. Help us to be your ambassadors in this time of uncertainty and to, to hold out to those around us the hope of the gospel. Father, we thank you for all that our government and our health professionals are doing. But Lord, we don't rely on that. We rely ultimately on you. We gather, we, we, we gather together our prayers and we humbly submit them prayerfully and dependently, looking to you, knowing that you are God and that you love us. So Father, we come and ask you to see us through this storm. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, based on all that's been going on, I thought we'd leave our study of Second uh, Peter this morning. I want to bring a message of comfort and hope uh, from Mark's gospel, from Mark chapter 4. So if you have your Bible there with you, if you'll turn to, to Mark chapter 4, uh, we'll begin in a moment in verse 35. But uh, I've been kind of isolated the last couple of weeks. We've been over in Israel, kind of enjoying the sights there. And, and uh, near the end of our time there, Cheryl started getting all these texts from home. Of course, in the evening, we'd kind of keep up on what was going here. But Cheryl started getting just a barrage of texts. Nobody texts me, but anyway, Cheryl gets texts from everybody. And you're talking about, uh, you know, what happened at the Thunder game the other night and this player with, with uh, the, the coronavirus and, you know, talking about stores, you know, kind of being ransacked, all the food's gone and, you know, the run on toilet paper that's happening, all these various kind of things. And so we were kind of isolated and got back and kind of realized what's really going on. And, and there's certainly a stampede of fear there seems to be out there. And of course, fear loves a good stampede. And so with what's going on in our, our culture and our country, what I thought I would do is bring a message from Mark chapter 4. Because I thought about what to preach about this morning. My mind kept going back to nine days ago when our group of 53 people were there in a, in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And it was a very special time. If you've been to Israel, you know what a wonderful time that is being out there on the Sea of Galilee. Now, every other time I've been to Israel, we've had our boat ride across the Sea of Galilee. It's always been perfect, placid weather, just the sea's calm and it's beautiful outside. But this time, for the first time, it was very windy and stormy that morning. In fact, it was the only bad weather we really had on the whole trip. But the wind was blowing, blowing really hard, and there was some rain kind of blowing in. And as we sat there on that boat being buffeted by the wind, I gave a lesson there on Jesus calming the storm. And that's what's kept coming back to my mind day after day in these, these recent times. And so that's a message we all need today. Our nation's enduring a storm. It's a storm that has or will affect all of our lives in one way or another. It may affect some of us physically. It'll certainly affect all of us, at least temporarily, financially. And it may affect us personally. So I want to remind us all this morning of a very, very simple truth, that Jesus is the sovereign of the storms, that Jesus can be trusted in the storms of life. Let me read for us in Mark 4, beginning in verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? May the Lord write his eternal word on our hearts this morning. There's a great story that comes from a naval academy in England. Um, One particular day, a British Navy officer visited a depot there and began barking out uh, orders to some of the the, the, uh, students there to kind of determine their preparedness for the rigors of commanding a vessel at sea. So he corners one student, and this admiral who's walking about there asks him, what would you do if a storm blew up? And the young man said, well, I'd lower the anchor, sir. And the admiral said, well, what would you do if the anchor broke away and another storm blew up? Without skipping a beat, he said, I'd lower another anchor, sir. Pressing his case, the admiral asked, what would you do if that anchor broke away and a third storm blew up? Well, sticking to his guns, the the student said, I'd lower another anchor, sir. Well, more than a little frustrated, the commanding officer said, and where are you getting all these anchors? And the student replied, the same place you're getting all the storms, sir. (laughs) Now those storms may have been imagined storms, but the point being made by that admiral is very real. Um, Every naval officer needs to know how to navigate a heaving sea or a surging storm. And what's true of life in the Navy is true of life itself. We all need to know how to deal with the sudden storms and the squalls uh, that can blow up in our face. Uh, The troubled waters, if you will, the choppy seas. We all face them. Um, The death of a loved one, an illness, a bad medical report, a loss of income, a difficulty with our job, marital struggles, maybe even divorce, um, trouble with a child, uh, perhaps just a suffocating sense of, of defeat and discouragement and depression. There's all kinds of storms of life, but of course, right now in our country, we're facing a very particular storm, a pandemic disease that we're, we're trying to stay. And our world today is navigating through uncertain, uh, stormy waters. And I think Mark chapter 4, our text here this morning, will help us chart a course through this storm that we're facing as a nation and as individuals, and really any storm of life uh, that we may face. Now, We have the outline online if you want to look at that at some point later, but I've got four simple points this morning to guide us through this passage. I want to look at the calm before the storm, uh, the calm during the storm, the calm after the storm, and then finally, the storm after uh, the calm. So the story opens with the calm before the storm in verses 35 and 36. Now this miracle here of Jesus is the first of four miracles in Mark chapters 4 and 5. In these two chapters, you have a collection of four miracle stories. And these stories reveal the power and the majesty and the lordship of Jesus. We see here in this passage that Jesus is lord of disasters. Uh, The next story is going to be that Jesus is lord of demons. He's going to cast a a legion of demons um, out of a man who's tormented. The man's literally infested with demons. Then he's going to heal a woman with an issue of blood who's had this uh, disease for 12 years. So he's Lord of disease. And then finally, he's going, to heal the, he's going to raise from the dead, actually, the daughter of Jairus that shows us Jesus is Lord of death. So there's an escalation here in these miracles. We have the disciples in our chapter here that are near death. 
Then we have a man who's living among the dead. And then we have a young girl who's actually dead. And so what this is showing here is the power and the person um, of our Lord Jesus Christ. But in our passage here, it begins on that day, and that day goes all the way back to Mark chapter 3 and verse 20. So this is a long day in the life of Jesus. It says in chapter 3 verse 20, and Jesus came home, that is to the city of Capernaum. That was his home headquarters, his home city. Again, those of you that were in Israel with us, you know exactly uh, where that is. He comes back to his home place uh, there to Capernaum. So all of chapter 3, verse 20, through chapter, uh, beginning of chapter 4 and verse 35, has all been happening around Capernaum. If you look at chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus began to teach by the sea, and such a large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. So Jesus has been ministering there from a boat for hours there near Capernaum. But then it says, um, when evening came. So this has been a long day of teaching, and Jesus is now getting ready, if you will, for another section of the curriculum for his disciples. He's going to give his disciples a test as they go out into the sea to see how much they've really learned. And so he says to them, let us go over to the other side. Now, right off the bat, the disciples should know that they're safe. Jesus didn't say, let's get in the boat, go halfway across the sea and sink. He says, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side. So they have a promise here uh, from Jesus. So we learn from the outset here that the key to this whole incident is Jesus can be trusted in the storms of life. Yet the disciples fail to trust and listen to what Jesus says. They have a promise from Jesus, but they fail uh, to trust in this promise. Now it says that Jesus went and got into a boat. And if you know anything about Mark's gospel, there's, there's almost a whole boat theology or a boat motif in Mark's gospel in chapters 4 through 8. Uh, the, the word boat is used 16 times in this section of the book. And uh, the disciples learn a lot of lessons in a boat. And so whenever Jesus gets into a boat, watch out because something big is getting ready to happen here in Mark's gospel. But he gets in the boat and it says he was just as he was. In other words, Jesus didn't take time to get any provisions. He gets, gets in just as he was. And then it adds this little note, and there were other boats with him. So if you know anything again about the gospel of Mark, Mark is getting his information, we believe, from Peter. Peter's an eyewitness to these events, and he mentions the other boats to make sure that everyone knows there are witnesses to what happened. In other words, this wasn't some hallucination. A lot of people saw uh, what Jesus did. And so that's the calm now before the storm. So let's look now at the calm during the storm. Verse 37, there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. So a fierce gale of wind comes up, literally here a mega wind in the Greek, a mega storm. If you've been to the Sea of Galilee, you know that it's kind of like a bowl. It's about 700 feet below sea level. I mean, it's famous for its, its kind of sudden, severe squalls and storms that will come up quickly. Um, the, the Sea of Galilee, it's 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by deep ravines that kind of act like gigantic funnels that can bring wind and storms quickly um, upon the sea. And so there's this fierce gale of wind. Actually, in, in Matthew's account of this, he calls it a mega seismos, means a mega shaking. 
It's like the entire lake there, the lake or the Sea of Galilee was shaking. And the boat they're in is kind of like a cork being tossed around in the water. It's kind of like water shaking in a cup. So this is a, probably the, the worst storm these men have ever seen. And think about this, at least four of these disciples were seasoned fishermen. They've been out on this lake all their lives, and they're panic-stricken. They go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? In other words, they believe they're going to die. It's such a bad storm. They believe it's over. And of course, notice in verse 35, it says they went out when evening came. So they're out there in the middle of the night. And storms were most dangerous at night. I mean, think about being out there in the inky darkness where you can't see a thing. Only time they could probably see anything is when the lightning would crack and flash and they could, for a moment of time, see what was happening and then really go dark again. So they're out there in the middle of this storm. They're panic-stricken. They're filled with fear. And of course, this storm the disciples face is a literal storm of wind and waves, but Jesus was teaching us and them a lesson, not just about literal storms, but about weathering the storms of life. Now, to me, one of the striking features about this story is the disciples undertook this journey at the command of Jesus. Notice they were not out of the will of God. They were following the will of God. Jesus said, get in the boat and let's go over to the other side. Jesus told them to get into the boat even though he knew what was coming. So they were in the boat because they obeyed him. Now, it also may be in this story, some believe that this storm here was demonically energized. The reason some people say that is, down in verse 39, when Jesus says, hush, be still, or literally he says, be quiet, be muzzled, it's one of the same words that he uses back in Mark chapter 1, verse 25, when he's speaking there to a demon. And so some believe with Jesus using the same terminology here that this may have been a demonically energized storm where Satan and demons were trying to kill Jesus and the disciples. In other words, trying to kind of take them all out at once. So the disciples, though, were in this demonically created storm because they obeyed Jesus' command to get in the boat to go to the other side. But again, Jesus knows all about it. I mean, he has purposes in it. He has lessons that he wants to teach his disciples through this. Now, look, storms aren't fun to go through, uh, but we can learn a lot about ourselves and certainly about the Lord in the storms of life. Verse 38, we see the full humanity of Jesus. And here's where we see the calm in the midst of the storm. Jesus is in the stern, asleep on a cushion, and they woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care? We're perishing. Jesus is totally exhausted. He's spent. It's been a long day. Again, if you go back to to, uh, chapter 3, verse 20, all the way to chapter 4, verse 34, you see this long, exhausting day in the life of Jesus. And this is the only time in the Gospels that we find Jesus asleep. So here the God-man is. God in human flesh is asleep. The creator of the world is sound asleep. And he's so spent and exhausted that he slept through the storm. That is probably how many of us felt Friday when we got back from Israel. You could have slept through a storm that night, right? You get back and, and you're exhausted. We've probably all been there before, dead tired. But the disciples see Jesus sleeping in the midst of this crashing storm, and they wonder why he doesn't do something. And they say at the end of verse 38, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Literally, doesn't it matter to you that we're perishing? In other words, Jesus, don't you care? 
And look, this is often how we are in the storms of life. I've been there, I'm sure you've been there as well, where we're tempted to question the Lord's care for us in the difficulties and storms of life. We think that he must be distant and he must be indifferent and disinterested in what's happening to us when we're enduring a storm. Jesus, don't you care that my child is sick? Or Lord Jesus, don't you care that my marriage is falling apart? Or Lord Jesus, don't you care that I feel so alone? Or don't you care that I want to give up and I'm so discouraged? Uh, Don't you care that my husband or my wife has died? Uh, Lord Jesus, don't you care that I've lost my job or I'm experiencing difficulties in in my finances? Lord Jesus, don't you care that this plague is spreading and that the economy is reeling? Look, on and on and on we could go, but the sleep of Jesus here is not the sleep of indifference. It's actually the sleep of sovereignty. Sovereignty. I mean, it demonstrates his sovereign power, that he's calm and he's asleep during the storm. One thing to me that's striking about this story is, do you notice that Jesus doesn't hear the storm, but he hears the voice of his disciples? He's there sacked out, I mean, dead out asleep. He's not hearing the storm. But when the side disciples say, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Immediately Jesus gets up and he does something. The storm didn't wake him up, but the desperate cry of his disciples did. And so the disciples here do what you and I should always do in times of panic, turn panic into prayer. They go to Jesus and they bring their request to him. And that's really what prayer is. We go and we ask God uh, for what we need. Jesus cares about them. He hears them even though he doesn't hear the storm. Turn your panic into prayer. Jesus uh, will hear you. Now in verse 39 and 40, we have here kind of the heart of these verses. And I like to call this the calm after the storm. So in verse 38, we see the full humanity of Jesus on display. He's he's worn out, he's exhausted. But in the very next verse, we see his full deity on display. He got up and rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, hush, be still. Or literally, be quiet, be muzzled. And again, the idea that he rebukes it. Some again take this to carry the idea that this is a, a satanically inspired storm. But Jesus arouses from his sleep, and he puts the storm to sleep. There's no, but notice here, there's no effort. There's not a bunch of hysterics, not a bunch of theatrics. Jesus speaks literally two words in the Greek. Be quiet, be muzzled. And the wind stopped, and the waves cease. So really you have two miracles here. Because you'll notice on down the disciples are going to say in verse 41, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And many of you, I know you you know this, but Jesus calls out to the wind and the wind stops, but also the sea immediately becomes dead calm. So again, when the wind stops, you imagine, you know, things are going to keep rocking for a little while, then finally the sea will become still. But Jesus speaks The wind stops and the sea becomes perfectly calm. Now that must have been eerie. Here you are out there in this raging storm and all of a sudden the wind's at zero and the sea is dead calm. And the word here used in verse 39, it became perfectly calm, is literally mega calm. There's a great calm that comes over the sea. The lake there, the Sea of Galilee, becomes like a mirror of glass. 
So Jesus is the sovereign over the storms of life. Someone has well said that a storm with the Lord Jesus is much better than calm without him. When you think about that in your life, that's true. A storm with the Lord Jesus is much better than calm without him. For for you and for me in life, peace doesn't come from finding calmer waters, but having Jesus in the boat. And it's his presence with us that literally makes all the difference. Having Jesus in the boat with us makes all the difference. Some of you uh, may know the name uh, Ed Dobson. Um, He was the pastor of a very large church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, about 20 years ago. And at the very pinnacle of his ministry, uh, Pastor Dobson was uh, afflicted or diagnosed with ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. And uh, some of you may know about his, uh, his ongoing battle with that, but he suffered with it for 15 years before he finally died um, about five years ago. But during that time, he wrote a book called Prayers and Promises When Facing a Life-Threatening Illness. And he wrote in the book, among other things, he wrote this, Hebrews 13, 5, and 6 has helped me in my struggle with ALS more than any other passage in the Bible. And he went on to say that, that after his diagnosis, his mind would be overrun by fear. Now you can only imagine that the fear that's in your mind when you know what's coming. And he learned to take five-minute timeouts. And here's what he said, whenever fear would begin to take over my life, I would take a timeout and repeat the verses from Hebrews 13. I would say these words over and over again for five minutes. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. For we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Notice in that verse, there's a double never. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I didn't actually quote all the verse. It actually says, the Lord says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So I confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I won't be afraid. It's only because God says that we can say. The only reason we can say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, is because of what God says. That he'll never leave us, that he'll never forsake us. And this is the verse that Ed Dobson says helped him the most in his long, long struggle with this debilitating disease. And that's really the message of Mark chapter 4 in many ways. Jesus will never leave us. He's with us. I mean, he's in the boat with us, and we don't have to be afraid. We can trust Jesus uh, in the storms of life. That's the wonderful message that God has for us, whatever storm we may be facing, but certainly in this current one. Now, this passage ends on a very unexpected note. Uh, we finish with what we might call the storm after the calm. This would be kind of a good place in verse 40 to end, or verse 39 to end the passage. But notice verse 40, and he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So the disciples had a promise up in verse 35. We're going to go to the other side. And they have a person with them in the boat, the, the person of the Lord Jesus. Yet they failed to believe that they failed to trust Jesus in the storm they were facing. He says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then in verse 41, it says, they became very much afraid. Now again, it's the word mega that's used there. They became mega afraid. Literally, it's megaphobia. They have a megaphobia. 
And so think about this, their fear of the storm. I mean, these men are panic-stricken. They think they're going to perish. Their fear of the storm is replaced by a greater fear of the one who calmed the storm. They feared him now more than they had feared the storm before. And they realized that God was in the boat with them. In other words, the creator is much more ominous than the creation. So you have in this passage a mega storm. Then we have a mega calm. And then we have a mega fear, a mega awe, or a mega reverence, if you will, of God himself. Harold Sinjin said this years ago. He said, strictly speaking, this is the story of two storms, one on the surface of the waters and the other in the hearts of the disciples. And that's really true. You've got two storms, one in the water, but now you've got a greater storm down in the hearts of the disciples as they're talking to one another and saying, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Oswald Chambers said this years ago, he said, the remarkable thing about God is when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. There's a lot of fear out there today. A lot of fear about a lot of things. Even before this coronavirus came along, there's just a lot of fear with people today in our culture. Look, the greatest thing that you and I can do is we can fear God. And we can stand in awe of him because to the degree that we fear God, we won't fear everything else. And to the degree that we don't fear God, we're going to basically fear everything else uh, that comes our way in life. Jesus Christ is the answer to our fears. Look, look, the message of this miracle is very simple. Jesus can be trusted in the storms of life. Jesus is the sovereign of the storms. Even in this current storm that we're facing, Jesus Uh, can be trusted. Look, if you and I have Jesus in the boat of our life, we can be assured that our boat won't sink. Uh, We might take on water. uh, Things may look bleak, uh, but the boat uh, will never, ever ultimately sink. Look, even if we die as a believer, our boat doesn't sink and go down. Jesus promises to get us safely uh, to the other side. Back on uh, April the 14th of 1912, on its uh, maiden voyage, the luxury liner uh, Titanic struck an iceberg just after midnight. And uh, the ship that had been called unsinkable uh, sank down into the dark waters of the Atlantic Ocean uh, less than three hours after the collision. And out of the 2,200 people on board, um, about 1,500 people drowned. Uh, When the ship had left its harbor in, uh, in England, some proud men had actually boasted, think about this, God Almighty could not sink this ship. And God didn't hear that. And the ship's going out there, God Almighty can't sink this ship. And of course, a few hours later, it's at the bottom of the Atlantic. But the Titanic had been built in Belfast in Northern Ireland. And after it sank, the mayor of that city said that, it, that the city of Belfast had never known such grief. First of all, for the death of many people from from Belfast, but also just the the grief over what had happened to a ship that had been built there um, in their city. And one church alone lost 16 of its members in the tragedy. Again, uh, churches were small in that day. 16 men died or perished when the Titanic went down, just from this one church. And those 16 men were ship's mechanics uh, down in in, in the bottom of the ship. And the church there had chosen a certain evangelist to come and preach the sermon on the Sunday following uh, the sinking of the Titanic. As you can imagine, the congregation that day included women who just become widows, 
uh, children who had just lost their fathers, uh, parents who had just lost a son. And the title of the evangelist's message was The Unsinkable Ship. What a, what a, what a beautiful uh, message uh, to bring in, in the light of what had just happened, The Unsinkable Ship. But he wasn't, of course, talking about the Titanic. His text that morning was the passage we've just read in Mark chapter 4. He was talking about an unsinkable little fishing boat afloat there on the Sea of Galilee. The unsinkable ship that had the Lord Jesus Christ on board. And of course the question for all of us is, is Jesus in the boat of your life? Is Jesus in your boat? Is he in your vessel? Have you invited him uh, to come into your boat? Look, if you've never done so today, you need to hang all of your hope on Jesus Christ and on his cross and the empty tomb. And abandon any hope in yourself or anything that you can do and hang all of your hope on the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is Jesus has taken the greatest storm for all of us. He's endured the storm of God's judgment when he died on the cross for us, when he hung there and bore the sin of the world. He bore all of our sin and we can find peace in him if we'll simply come to him and trust in him and hang all of our hope upon him uh, to be our savior from sin. Well, look, when you and I do that, when we take Jesus to be our savior and we trust in him and we hang all of our hope upon him, our life becomes an unsinkable ship. It doesn't mean that we don't face problems in this life and the storms of life and that we don't take on water. And that someday if the Lord doesn't come in our lifetime, it doesn't mean that we won't even die. But we have the promise our ship will never sink. Jesus will see us through uh, to the other side. So whatever you're facing today, and certainly we see what's happening out there in our culture, but we all have our own private individual storms as well. I want all of us to lay hold of this truth here this morning, that Jesus is the sovereign of the storms of life. Let them become a reality to us. And for us to recognize that whatever may be happening, Jesus can be trusted in the storms of life, whatever you and I are facing. So may God help us to lay hold of that truth, to not live our lives in panic and fear, but to trust in the one who can deliver us from the storms of life, the only one who can deliver us. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the God-man, God in human flesh, who came and endured the storm of your judgment upon the cross, took the weight of all of our sins and bore it all so that we can be set free. And Father, we know that if you've taken care of the greatest storm of life that we could ever face, that we can trust you with the lesser storms of this life as well. That you can be trusted in all the storms of life that we may face. Father, give us hope and give us trust and you turn our, our, our fears into faith. Help us, Lord, to turn our panic into prayer. Lord, supernaturally energize us during this time. There are a lot of people out there talking about what's going on. Lord, give us a ready word to, to give people hope and hold out the, 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 the hope of the gospel to them. Lord, unloosen our tongues and help us to uh, care about people who are around us who need hope in these times. So Lord, use this in our lives to energize us supernaturally to be faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ, to bear witness of the truth of the gospel in our own lives. Now, Father, again, we pray and we look to you for our nation. We look to you for our state. We look to you for this world. 
but to come and to help us. You're the only one who can. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for, uh, for joining us today. Obviously, I usually have you stand and we say the benediction together. You might want to stand in your home or wherever you are with us right now. Uh, you can stand up there and uh, we'll have a benediction together as we leave here. Uh, we will, um, we'll be uh, giving you updates in these next few weeks. Obviously, no, nothing happening this Wednesday night. That was already planned because of this being spring break week. But uh, we'll keep you all informed of, of what's happening and we'll appreciate uh, your prayers and we'll continue to pray for all of you. We love you and we miss you. And we hope to see you back here uh, very soon. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. All God's people said, amen. Go in peace.